0: Um, if you have your Bible with you uh, or your phone, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 17, as that's where we're going to be starting this morning. Now, a, a series title like One Month to Live, you might go, okay, that's a little bleak. That's, that's a little dark. And Greg said this last week, and it's worth repeating. He said, this series isn't for those who, whether they know it or not, will die within the next 30 days. Um, it's not us as a church trying to... Uh, make people make kind of this this, uh, confession of Christ as their Savior out of fear. It's to make us ask this question. If I knew I only had one month to live, if I had 30 days left, how would I live differently? What would I do differently? Now, if I was sitting in a doctor's office and he said to me, you have 30 days, I'd have some questions. One question would be, okay, why? What, what's happened? Was there something I did that kind of led to this? Another might be, um, is there any treatment? Is there any medication available to help kind of combat that, to pr- prolong my life? Now, God has built things into our everyday life that are, are good for our health, that can bring us health. Now, again, I said Proverbs chapter 17, and we're going to be in verse 22. And Solomon, he says, a cheerful heart is good medicine but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And so what Solomon is saying is that a joy-filled heart is good for our health. That, that when we have, uh, our life is full of cheer, that, that actually can have positive benefits on our physical health. But the opposite is true. That if, if we're not joy-filled, but instead we're we are dragged down, we're in this depression, that we're in this difficult time, that can also take a toll on our physical bodies. Now, God has given us many different things that bring us joy and cheer in life, but today I want to focus on one, and I want to focus on this one because I think it's something that we as Christians can sometimes struggle with. We don't even necessarily know how to approach rightly um, at times. Now, what I'm about to tell you is a, is a completely true story. Sometimes Greg and I get up here, and we might embellish a story a little bit. This is true. So last year, um, Seth, my son, he's eight, uh, he was seven at the time, but he came home waving a permission form for he and his class to go swimming at the Canada Games Centre. And he's super excited, oh, we're going to do flips into the pool, we're going to dive off the diving board, and it's like, okay, you you guys are going to have fun, I'm excited for you, buddy. And attached to that permission slip is a request form for volunteers, And so uh, the teacher's going, we need adult chaperones to help make this possible. Supervise the walk, supervise them in the changing room, supervise them in the pool. Now Seth asked me, you're going to come, right, Dad? And I said, well, Seth, your mom and I, we both already supervised field trips this year. So why don't we let some other parents have a turn? But Seth then lays this on me. Well, I already told my friends that you were coming, and I also told my teacher that you're coming. And I go, well, bud, you should have talked to me first. I don't know if I can do that. Now, it's getting closer and closer to the, the time for the field trip. And the, the email pleas are coming from the teacher. Like, we need chaperones to make this possible. If we don't have them, we can't go to the pool. Um, every time I take Seth to school or I'm picking him up, his friends are like, yeah, you're coming swimming, right? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but then comes the email, the direct one from the teacher that's going like, well, Seth said you might be able to help chaperone <laughs> this trip. It's like, okay, <laughs> I can't dodge this one. And so I look at my schedule. It's like, ugh, it's open um and so okay sure I'll go supervise this field trip it'll be good it will help the kids have fun I'll make I'll help make it possible and so it's getting closer and closer to the day of the trip and just a few days before Seth goes you're the only dad coming and I'm like okay so it's me and 12 to 15 grade two boys Uh, okay um I I've I've counseled camps. I've been a youth leader. Um, I've got this. I can handle this. It's only for like an afternoon. It's not going to be too bad. Now the day of arrives, and so I I go up to Seth's school. It's just up there, Park West, and it's just after lunch, and I go to his class. I get my volunteer sticker and everything, and arrive at his class, and the teacher's like, here's your walking group. So I've got Seth and a few other troublemakers, Um, and and so she puts us up near the front of the line so she can kind of keep keep a handle on these guys as well. Now we start walking out of the school to the path, the power line path, to make our way to the Canada Games Center. And as we're going, I notice that there's other classes coming out of the school as well. The other two grade two classes. And I was like, oh, I thought it was just us, but it's okay, all of grade two. And so we're we're walking. But as we're going, I keep looking backwards and I notice something. There are plenty of female adult volunteers I am the only adult male in that entire line. And so I, I, I'm hesitant to ask his teacher this. But I go, like, am I the only adult male for all of grade two? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> and in that moment, I have, like, a, just a whole range of emotions. Anger, rage, betrayal, fear, Um <laughs> Just a lot of different things, but it's like, we're almost there. I can't bail. I've got to see this thing through. And so we, we get to the Canada Games Center, and it's like dividing boys and girls to go into our respective changing rooms, and all the mothers and the kids go into theirs. It's like a one-to-one ratio. And me and like 35 to 40, grade two, six- and seven-year-old boys go into the male change room. And I'm like, this is not going to be fun. Now, before I even get through the door, I hear a kid go, ah! And and he goes, he's naked, and all the boys are screaming, and I'm pushing my way through them. I go, okay, what's going on? And there's this poor older gentleman, not used to having forty grade two boys burst in on him. He's like scrambling to get his clothes on. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I'm drill sergeant kicks in. I'm like, boys, get changed, put your stuff in the locker, get out to the pool deck. Your teacher's waiting. And so I get them all out there somehow by the grace of God. And. Uh, We go through the the lifeguard rundowns, like don't drown each other, don't do a head first dive into the pool, and so we get in the pool, and the kids are like climbing on me, and they're like, ah, throw me, I'm like, yeah, I remember you from the change room, (laughs) Um, and it's like launch them across the pool, and that's not so bad, I just had to keep a few of them from drowning one one another, it wasn't too bad, there was uh, some mothers and stuff to help out there. Now it's time to go home. Um, And so we go back to the change room and it is anarchy. Um, If you've ever had to get one, like one grade or grade two or a six or seven year old boy to do something, you know that is a challenge. Now multiply that by 35 to 40. Um, Now take what you're imagining and multiply that by seven. And you might be getting there to how bad this was. Shannon asked me afterwards how it went. And my reply was, it was like herding mice with feelings. Because it was chaos. Like, I, I'm saying, boys, you've got to rinse off. You've got to get dried off and dressed. And we've got to get out there. We've got to get back for Pickup. Now, some kids are just standing in the shower, just letting the water hit them. I've got some kids who've dropped their clothes into the, the wet in the shower. Like, why are your dry clothes in the shower with you? One kid is eating a snack. One kid's going, I can't find my underwear. And he's in tears. Another kid's pushing another kid in the locker. Another kid is wearing this kid's clothes. I don't even know how that happened. And so, like, I'm at the same time trying to keep this all together. And I'm going, I need to get dressed. I need to get dried off. I need to get rinsed. I'm trying to do this without repeating the, ah, he's naked situation. And so we, we get them out there finally. And we start walking back to the school and we make it. And his teacher goes, okay, kids, let's give Mr. Stevenson a thank you. And I'm smiling on the outside going, hmm, how about an apology? <laughs> now, like, I got home. I had to lay down, a little traumatized by what happened. Then Seth and I had a one-on-one that evening. I was like, don't ever volunteer me for something (laughs) again without talking about it. Now, I tell this story for a few reasons. The first one is this. If a volunteer form comes home, consider signing it. You should should take that offer up. I mean, it's a good opportunity, if you can, to be in your kids' lives, um, to get to know their friends, and to kind of just help out there as salt and light. But the second reason, the more important reason I tell that is doesn't it feel good to laugh? Like after you laugh, you feel better. After you spend an evening with family or friends, maybe around the dinner table, and you're just reminiscing, you feel restored. It's good for us. Someone said, always laugh when you can. It is cheap medicine. And laughter doesn't just... Feel good. It actually does good. Studies have shown that humor can help to heal our bodies. And so when we laugh, um, our brain releases powerful chemicals. These chemicals can reduce stress and relax our body. These chemicals strengthen our immune system, which helps us fight diseases. Dr. Marvin Herring, he says the diaphragm, thorax, abdomen, heart, lungs, and even the liver are given a massage during a hearty laugh. And so laughing provides cardiovascular exercise. Um, And so if you laugh 100 times, that's the equivalent of 15 minutes on the exercise bike, which is like, that's great. I can just head to the couch and put in a movie and I'm exercising. This is perfect. Um, Laughter, it helps to lower our blood pressure. It's great for our mental health as it releases stored up negative emotions such as anger, fear, and sadness. It is a natural antidepressant it can help with pain management. Dr. William F. Fry of Stanford University, he said, laughter stimulates the production of the alertness hormones, and these hormones in turn cause the release of endorphins in the brain. Endorphins foster a sense of relaxation and well-being and dull the perception of pain. Now, I've got one um, one benefit left, and this is really good news for, for some people, um, you can shelve the laxatives or the kombucha because la- uh, laughter actually helps loosen up the bowels. It, it, it helps you go. And so that, that's good news. Um, maybe you don't appreciate potty humor. I don't know. We'll see. Now, laughter, laughter is one of those good gifts that God has given us. It's, it doesn't just feel good. Laughter is good for us. And God knew the importance of laughter way before scientists discovered how valuable it is to our health. Now let's, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And Solomon says here in verse 1, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Verse 4, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to to dance. And so what King Solomon is saying, you know what, laughter is a natural part of life. But not everybody has actually agreed with that. Uh, St. Benedict, the 6th century pope, he said, as for coarse jests and idle words, or words that lead to laughter, these we condemn with a perpetual ban. And so he's just a guy, doesn't seem to really enjoy a, a good, clean joke, um, sounds like a fun guy to hang out with if you ask me, but but some have said, you know what laughter there 's something um, violent and satanic about it. Some have said that it 's closely linked with feelings of pride, superiority, and defiance. Now, I would say this like laughter like almost anything. it can be corrupted and used for evil, but it can also be enjoyed and used for good as something that God has given us now. Sometimes, and as we saw with my, my story at the pool, it's okay to laugh at someone's pain, but our laughter should never be the source of someone's pain. We've we got to be careful with those things. Now, some have said, you know what, it's actually unspiritual. It's unchrist-like to laugh. This, this one person wrote to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association asking this question. Did Jesus ever smile or laugh, or was he solemn all the time? I have a friend who's very solemn, and he says he doesn't believe in laughing or cracking jokes because Jesus never laughed, and we ought to be like Jesus. Now, I'm sure this guy's friend gets invited to all the best parties. Um, Sounds like a really fun guy to be around again. But we we have to say, okay, it's commendable that he wants to be like Jesus. Jesus. And that is something that as Christians we should strive for. And he is right in saying there is no um, instance in scripture recorded where it says, Jesus laughed. You, you just won't find that. Isaiah fifty three five, it says, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Now we might go, okay, this, this is Jesus. He's going around. He's perpetually depressed, never smiling or laughing. But we have to consider Hebrews 1.9 also says this, that, that he was anointed with the oil of joy more than anyone else. So here's the question I'm asking is, did Jesus laugh or was he always solemn and serious? Now on Monday and Tuesday, um, our, our pastors and elders, we went away for a, a, a brief, uh, brief retreat um, and so we were talking about some of the, the business of, of the church, some things that have to be dealt with, some needs that need to be met. Also talking about uh, kind of where God is calling us in the future. And Greg's going to share uh, a bunch of this on Saturday at our annual general meeting, if you're a member. So I'd encourage you to be there for that. But here's the thing I've noticed. Like, I've been in a lot of meetings. Uh, my, my profession kind of requires that I go to a lot of meetings. And what I've noticed is regardless of what is on the agenda, if you get a bunch of guys together for more than like 10 minutes, somebody's gonna say something and laughter is going to break out. Like it's hard to get a bunch of guys together without somebody saying something funny. Now think about this. Jesus travels around um, the region with his disciples for several years. They're putting in long days. They're doing ministry. Now imagine at the end of the day, do they just sit around and just tell serious stories and just not crack a smile? Or can't you imagine, at the end of the day, they're tired, they're worn out, it's been a busy day of ministry, and these 13 guys start like talking about some of the things that might have happened during the day, some of the comedic moments. I, I can't imagine these 13 guys hung out for almost three years and never once laughed without Jesus participating in that laughter. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And one of the best parts of friendship is discovering the humor in life together. It's, it's sharing a laugh. Now, one time, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, they, they, they get angry at some Samaritans, a Samaritan town, because the Samaritans have essentially rejected Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to wipe out the town? And Jesus is going, okay, that's a bit of an overreaction. And so he rebukes them and their request. But then he calls them the sons of thunder. He gives them a nickname. And here's the reality. If you've ever given somebody a nickname, there's usually a bit of humor behind that nickname. Anytime that James or John were starting to get upset, can't you imagine like one of the disciples going like, you guys, you guys going to bring in the thunder? Making fun of them, poking fun, being sarcastic about that. And just kind of getting at them. There are comedic elements to Jesus' teaching as well that we might miss at times. Um, when the Pharisees were being warned by Jesus about hypocrisy, Jesus says to them, You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. But you guys swallow camels. And so it's, it's a serious teaching. It's a warning. But there's also kind of a comedic element behind that warning. Think about the one where where Jesus says to to us, like, "You, you see the speck of dust in your brother's eye. You see the splinter, but you fail to see that there's a log, there's a plank, there's a tree sticking out of your own eye. Take that out so that you can see clearly to correct your brother. And again, serious teaching, but there's kind of a funny image attached to it. Consider the fact that the Gospels tell us that people wanted to be Around Jesus, that that crowds follow Jesus. And there's there's many reasons why this was happening, but we're often attracted to people who have a good sense of humor, who enjoy the, the funny things in life. And so maybe the gospel writers knew that saying Jesus laughed would be so obvious that they didn't really need to mention it. It was a given. Now in this next like this illustration, I'm not trying to be crude, but make a point. Nowhere in the Gospels will you find that it says Jesus went to the washroom. So, do we assume, using that logic, that Jesus held it for thirty-three years? We go, no, that's that's ridiculous. Of course, he used the washroom, and it's kind of the same with laughter. Of course, Jesus would have laughed. He's he's fully human. Now, John chapter twenty, verse thirty, it says the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. And so my point in, in that is this, that not everything was written down. It's not that hard to believe that Jesus spent time laughing with other people. And the writers, when, when they're writing the gospel, their point is not to get across the comedic elements of Jesus' life. It's, it's to get a, across the good news of what Jesus accomplished through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Now, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, if you've ever met somebody who never laughs, something inside you're going, that's not right. Like, there might be something wrong. It's kind of an alarm when somebody never, ever laughs. Now, if Jesus never laughed, we'd go, that's a pretty joyless life. Because part of the joy in life is seeing the humorous parts in it. Like, like the sound of laughter is often the sound of joy. Now, research has found that babies and children laugh hundreds of times a day. And I, I, I like my daughter Jane, she's two and a half. All I have to do is make a face or, or some ridiculous noise. And she belly laughs. And then when she calms down, she goes, do it again. And so um, I do it. Same reaction, belly laugh. Now, I used to be able to do that with Seth, my son, eight and a half. But now it's harder. I have to work hard to get that uncontrolled laughter. And here's the thing. As we get older, our laugh count, it it goes down. We, We struggle to make it even into the double digits. And the reason is, is that as we get older, we feel weighed down by the pressures and the heartaches of life. And after you've been around, if you've lived for a few years, you know life is not one giant laugh. Like there are things that take place in the world, that take place in our lives, that laughter is not an appropriate response. And, and people will show their character by the things that they laugh at. But there are some Christians who believe that those who laugh don't take life seriously or their relationship with God. Some will point to the depth of injustices that we see in the world, like sex trafficking, the, the, the lack of meeting uh, basic needs in the world, like, like clean drinking water. They'll look at things like the amount of orphans that need to be adopted. On top of the fact that people die every day apart from a relationship with Christ, And they go, like, we don't have time to laugh, and it's not appropriate to laugh in a world like this. That, that these things require our full attention. We need to be serious about them, and we need to get to work. Now, the goal of this series is to help us to live with a sense of urgency. But that, that, that urgency doesn't mean we have to be serious about everything. And th- that urgency, we have to realize also, it's, it's meant to dr- like, lead us to live lives that drives darkness back in the world but what if what if laughter is a tool that God has given us not just for our physical health but for our spiritual health not just for our spiritual health but for the the spiritual health of other people maybe in this crazy world of bad news God knows that we need humor and humor it, it combats pride and cultivates humility if you study history, you'll see that um, the most notorious dictators or authoritarians, they, they share kind of one trait, and it's this. They, they could not laugh at themselves, and they refused to allow other people to laugh at them. And so, like, if you laughed at Hitler or Stalin... Chances are you were going to be noticeably and permanently absent from the meeting the next day. You just wouldn't be around. They did not like people laughing at them. They could not laugh about themselves. Now, Proverbs, or C.S. Lewis actually said, A proud man cannot laugh because he must protect his dignity. But a poor and happy man laughs heartily because he gives no serious attention to his ego. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. And haughtiness before a fall. And so pride is when someone takes himself or herself too seriously. Like pride drags you down into this um, seriousness about ourselves. It often gives birth to fear. Like if you, if you think that everything depends on your performance, your perfect performance, failures are going to be devastating. Because you're going, man, I'm, I'm in trouble. But if you, if you have some successes, if you have wins, they're going to give you this, this pride or this inflated um, sense of security. And when you believe that God is always judging you, you're going to live in fear. And it's hard to laugh or have fun because you're going, man, eternity is on the line. If, if I don't get this right, I, I'm in trouble. And God, God calls us to live holy and blamelessly as we possibly can. He says, be holy because I am holy, but he also realizes we can't be holy like he is holy on our own. That is impossible for us to do. And so this is why he sent Jesus into the world, to be our perfection. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die, but he also conquered death. And so through Christ, there is hope. But God didn't leave us on our own. He gave us the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. The, the, the process of sanctification, that we are works in progress. And so, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're becoming what God sees us as. We're, we're, we're changing slowly over time, but that's a process. God understands that. And so, as our understanding of God shifts from fear to love, from angry judge to, to loving father, what we see is is that God loves and accepts us, despite, despite our mistakes and our failures. Now, uh, Jane, my, my daughter, again, she's in this phase where she does not want a lid on her cup. She hates it. And so we'll give her some juice, and it's like that much juice in the cup. She doesn't know any better yet that we're not really giving her much. Um, but 25% of the time, she spills it. Um, and so, like, what we do is we wipe it up, we give her a bit more juice. Now, part of the joy of being a parent is watching your kids learn. Um, like, when they, they start going, like, I don't need your help getting dressed, I can do it myself, and they come out, and their arms are through the, their pants, and they're going, like, what's going on here? And it's like, well, you're, you're learning, and, and as a parent, you, you enjoy that. Now, here's the thing, sometimes as we're growing spiritually, we might think, we're more mature than we actually are. We, we might spill our cup. We might get our, our pants on our arms. And God understands that, that, that we're going to make mistakes, that we're not going to be perfect. We went to a conference last, uh, last May. And at that conference, uh, one of the pastors who was speaking there told this story of when he was younger. And he said, I, I, I had to tell a woman that her husband had died. And so for 45 minutes, they're in the office, and he's, he's, he's consoling her, he's comforting her, uh, just, just being there, but he has to slip out for something. And when he slips out, the office administrator says something that makes him realize, I have the wrong woman. I have told this woman her husband has died, and that hasn't happened. And so he's going, how am I going to correct that? And so he goes back in there, and he goes, ha, funny mistake, um your husband's not actually dead but isn't this kind of funny it's like you got him back from the dead just just like Jesus and this woman she does not see the humor in that now he this this pastor that I mean that that would be in the moment that would be hard that you're not laughing in the moment you're going man like should I even be doing this thing but he didn't let that ruin it he's going like I can learn from it he's he's not going to make that mistake again I better not um And so this is kind of the thing that as we we learn, as we we grow, as we're being sanctified, yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to fail. But God's grace means that we can laugh at those funny moments. God's grace means we can move forward. We don't have to be drowning in fear and shame about those things. So seeing those funny moments in life, they help us have an appropriate uh, perspective on ourselves, but also drives us to be thankful that God is a gracious God. We aren't perfect, but Jesus is our perfection. Now, humor is also relational. Um, laughter was made to be experienced in relationships. If you see two people walking down the street, they're enjoying a laugh together, you go, okay, so they said something funny, they're having a good time. You see somebody laughing by themselves, going, okay, it might be a little <laughs> crazy. Somebody said like, Laughter is the best medicine, but if you're always laughing by yourself, you might need medicine. Um, I don't know, but most of us are attracted to people who are funny and who make us laugh. Humor disarms tension and discomfort, especially in group settings. It, It relaxes people and invites them to let their guard down and become more vulnerable. Mark Twain, he said, humor is the great thing, the saving thing. The minute it crops up, all our irritations and resentments slip away and a sunny spirit takes their place. Now when people when people laugh together, they cease to be old and young, rich and poor, teacher and boss, or teacher and student, boss and employee. They they become one single group enjoying life together. Now in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty. Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And humor helps us be better ambassadors for Christ. Like we we need to to focus on the spiritual fight that we find ourselves in. But we also have to remember, you know, that the war has been won. I don't have to win this war. Christ has done it for me. We're not to be indifferent to injustice, but we don't have to live as if it depends all on us. God is ultimately in control. And when believers can laugh, even when things aren't going well, it shows our trust in our Father. We're saying he's going to make it all right again one day. And to smile and laugh with joy in today's world, it sends a powerful message. It says that God is greater than our anxieties and our fears. He's greater than those things that stress us out. And that confidence and joy will draw attention of others. And it might give us the opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. And I've, I've been to quite a few funerals in my life. And I've never seen this happen. I've never seen somebody get up and say, I'm going to share a few um, thoughts on my mother or my father, or whoever it is. And then they pull out the resume and just start going through it and going, this is what they did from this year to this year to this year to this year. Now, what they do is they share stories. And those stories usually are funny stories. They're stories that involve humor. it's because there's, there's healing in laughter. There's something powerful about laughter. And it's a gift from God. It is medicine for the body and for the soul. Laughter is a tool God has given us to break down barriers and build relationships And so my point is this. We don't have to put the funny moments of life and those urgent, serious ones in competition. There is a time for both. And so let's be a people who laughs regularly. Let's enjoy the good gift that God has given us.